Welcome back to See Right, the podcast, the podcast where two unqualified football fans try to sound qualified to talk about football. My goodness, it's been that long since I've done that that I almost messed it up. Um, do you remember when I used to mess that up all the time at the start when we started this podcast? And intermittently over the past two years. But yeah, no, that was a stunning return to form. On. Yeah, I mean, it is a mouthful. It is a mouthful. But good to be back, man. Good to be back. A lot of change. A lot of change in the meantime. <laughs> Um, between now and or now and and then our, our last one I mean I, I've moved countries I'm no longer a, a Nederlander I'm no longer our Ajax correspondent or whatever you want to call me I'm now out in the Middle East Um, like uh, like many many people involved in the <laughs> football world Um, and yeah I mean you've got some cool stuff going on in your life man we've, we've both yeah, been so away like- we've both been home Everything's all good. Um, in person, so. no time to record, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we, we've seen each other in the meantime. Um, it's all been rosy in the garden, except for football. <laughs> That's been the only downer here, man. The only downer has been football. But let's kick it off with Arsenal-Liverpool. Uh, part 2. Um, in the FA Cup, Liverpool going through 2-0. Um Aye, aye, aye. Do you want to start or shall I start? Because like, I am uh, <laughs> low energy on this one. Go ahead. You you take take the lead on this one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, the Arsenal should have won this game. Um, they should have they should have scored so many goals. They had so many chances. And while I'm tempted to get into individual performances. You sort of have to question where is this problem coming from? I think it's quite reductive to say that this is like a striker problem, that they just don't have a striker because, yeah, like other teams get away with it. it. It's not, I don't think one player is the problem here. I think there is a fundamental lack of being clinical in this Arsenal team. I think that's been there for a while. Um, you know, you look at a player like a Bukayo Saka, a Martin Odegaard, um, a Gabriel Martinelli, these guys should be clinical in the positions that they're in. Like, it, it, you shouldn't say, oh, well, you just bring in an Ivan Tony, or you bring in an Ollie Watkins, or you bring in a Dominic Solanke, and problem solved. Like, there's something wrong fundamentally here with the way that these players are shaping up for these chances why aren't they able to put them away is it a mental thing is it a physical thing are they tired i don't know but the reality of the situation is across this game across the west ham game across the loss to fulham and um even in the in the draw against liverpool in the league it's not good enough that's just the, the cold hard reality of the situation is it's not good enough. And if you do want to be a team that's up there and challenging for the title, you have to be converting these chances. You have to be scoring these goals. And it has to be everybody. If you look at City over the last couple of years, 
I mean, it, it, it's easy to see every player contributed. Whether it was like off the top of my head, thinking about like you look at you look at that year they won the title, um, the Long Ranger from Vincent Company. Like you know what I mean the center half steps up and bangs one from a mile away. But you th- immediately I think of players like Ilkay Gundogan, Bernardo Silva, like Rodri at times popped up with some. When Joel Cancelo was in the team, he'd always pop up with some. Like everybody was clinical, everybody was scoring goals, and it just seems like. Arsenal's focus maybe is too heavy on the game plan and getting 95% of the way there and not enough focus on the 5%. Whereas, you look on the other side. Liverpool, right? Is this the best Liverpool team we've ever seen in our lives? No. However, they have this clinical edge that Arsenal do not. And that's what wins you titles and that's what wins you leagues. I actually think, for the most part, in individual positions, Arsenal have players that are way better than Liverpool's players. But ultimately, across the board, as an eleven, like obviously, I'm not including players like Mo Salah in that sweeping statement, by the way. But like across the board, as an eleven, Liverpool are always trying to progress the ball forward with one goal in mind, and that's to score. And if you look at those midfielders that are coming into the team, Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott, they're taking the ball and they're driving. They're driving into space and they're trying to find a way in. Then you have Jota coming on. You have Darwin Nunez. God bless him. But he's still like, his goal is still the same. You think of that goal that Mohamed Salah scored against Arsenal, ball over the top from Trent Alexander-Arnold and then a bit of world-class skill. Um, obviously, you know, you can speak about Alexander Zinchenko's uh, lack of awareness or lack of height in that situation. But ultimately, it's a great finish from Salah. It's so clinical in a situation where he shouldn't be able to convert. Arsenal are constantly in situations not only where they should be able to convert, they should absolutely convert. Um, and I think that's the, that's the difference maker. And if we're sitting here in May and Liverpool are league champions, that's the difference. I think there's two there's two factors at play, especially in, in Arsenal's um most recent run. And I, I, I think it isn't I think the striker element does play a part for Arsenal, but I put that to one side for the moment. I think Liverpool are fundamentally playing to their strengths and that entire team, as you say, um, it, it does have this kind of swashbuckling, you know, nature to it in, in that you've got players who are very good at progressing the ball forward and, you know, like they, they play their good goal scorers in, in an attack as well. Um, and like they're not rusty defensively. Like, you know, I think they're, I'm looking at now in the Premier League anyway, I think they have the fewest goals conceded of anyone. But that's also down to having a world-class shot stopper in goal. For me, what I'm looking at Arsenal is that it it is kind of that uh, that old trope. That's the problem with Arsenal. They're always trying to walk it in the net. And I think the amount of times over the last two weeks, you know, in this slump, let's call it, where I've seen Arsenal kind of entrenched in their opposition half, playing, you know, the ball over and back a la Man City, um, you know, the, 
the parallels are obvious between the two sides, but over and back, over and back, over and back. And yet they they can't seem to create the space the same way City can to score the goals. And they also don't have like a proper number nine who will, if the box is packed, like win a header. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's a lack of height or like, an, you know, Jesus and Nketiah aren't clinical enough and aren't dominant aerial presences in my mind. And then, you know, you've Saka who, I think you've said in the past, Owen, as well, like, you know what he can do, but you, it's another thing trying to stop him, which is true, but they they just look a bit toothless. It, it, I'm thinking of last year, right, and how Arsenal used to blow teams away in the opening half and then they bring in that kind of death by a thousand cuts kind of stranglehold on possession and everything else whereas now it seems like they start out a lot more they don't have that flourish the way this they did and i think none more so than martinelli uh you know personifies the problem which is that he's his goal scoring this year is way down now he he was good when he came on against liverpool don't get me wrong but i think martin and i think martinelli really is kind of a transition player. He's good in open space. He's good at like breaking and getting the shot off when he's, you know, you're, you play a long diagonal but in behind the, the defense and, you know, he's one-on-one or like he's got room to run into. He's not as cultured in my head in, let's say, slow possession phases when you're encamped in, in the opposition half, as I say. So I don't think Arsenal are fully tooled up to do that system in the same way that Liverpool are fully tooled up in the way they want to play. So like Martinelli's not a great, in my mind anyway, like fantastic uh, slow possession kind of winger, unlike Jack Grealish, unlike Foden, you know, Foden who kind of plays as a 10 a winger, like a load of the, the Man City wingers. And Saka can do it, but if there's something slow and methodical about Arsenal's approach at the minute and it, it it's not yielding results. And then you you bring into it the fact that they spent so much money on a player like Havertz, who, you know, was kind of going through a purple patch and now it suddenly seems to come crashing down. And I don't know if Arsenal were fully there yet to take... Like, you put Havertz in to a City team, and I, 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 as I, I keep comparing them to City because the, the comparison is obvious to me given... Arteta's previous coaching history, the way he's setting up the team in a similar manner to Manchester City, but like, and the players bought from City as well. But like, you put Havertz in that City team, I feel like he fits better because it's more the team is more ready and a higher level. Like Rice has been transformative defensively for Arsenal, but Havertz, I don't know what he's doing. Do you know what I mean? Like Xhaka was doing that job better last year, and I don't really get Havertz is a different player to Xhaka. He's not as I don't know if physical the right word, but anyway, he he's a flourish to a f- properly functioning team as opposed to a key piece in your midfield, and I think that's been an issue. I know, didn't he start as like a, or he was playing as a false nine at pit and phases anyway, or like a striker at phases in that Liverpool game. But overall, this Arsenal team is generally in and individually underperforming their goal scoring numbers. You know, Saka, uh, Jesus, Odegaard, Martinelli are not scoring the same rate they were last year. Martinelli is way down and I wonder is that because Arsenal have gone into this season with more of a methodical control approaching games which has worked up until now and that's why people are calling for the striker because they're looking a bit toothless but I wonder is it because 
they do need to look back at how they were successful last year as well. Yeah, I wonder if just inserting a striker into the system would only serve to essentially be a bit more methodical. Like, like can, yeah. Can I, I just I, say, they don't have, like, when they are just kind of crossing the ball into the box, and, like, I remember at one stage, I think Trossard was the, like, main presence in the box in one of the games, and it was a bit like... Yeah, I don't get that. Yeah, so it's like... <sighs> You know, at least if you had Giroud, you have like a a target man off mm-hmm. the bench option even, do you know? Something to, yeah. to change it up when they need to. And I don't think they have that. No, there's no real plan B. Um, which if you remember like a while ago, I think this not the because we didn't really do it this summer, but the the summer before last when we were talking about squad planning, I included a hilarious list of giant players that I found across Europe because I was just like, just have one. Just that you can chuck in six foot five guy who you can chuck in at the end of the game, just to make things interesting. Um, obviously that's very reductive, a very four four two sort of um, way of thinking. But um, yeah, like I think the striker argument kind of dies on its sword in terms of like i don't like i think it, there's an improvement that could easily be made of course someone who is a bit more clinical someone who's a bit more goal savvy that's for sure like if you i'm sure if you brought in ivan tony he would be sharper like he would make a difference and he would score goals um i mean he was what second or third to Haaland last year he's a he's a very good premier league goal scorer however and I'm not comparing these two players at all. I, I was just using the Ivan Tony example as as a mark of improvement. But if you look at Eddie Nketia, who is a six-yard penalty box striker, his sole operation is to score goals. But when you see him out there in that system, it doesn't really fly. And that's kind of where I think it's more so like what you're getting at a, a an adjustment and a change of system or at least a tweak in system that needs to happen arsenal maybe need to trigger counterattacks a little bit more maybe that's what unlocks gabriel martinelli's abilities because that's what he's so good at blazing past players um you know there needs to be a, maybe a few more tricks in the book because i think teams have arsenal figured out um, I think that's been evident even in some of the games that they won prior to the Liverpool game. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how Arsenal operate during the transfer window. What they do, I don't see a striker coming in. To be honest, in my opinion, yeah, it's, it's, it's not. It's not as you say, and as I kind of say, it's not fundamentally that they need a striker. It's it's exactly that they need to tweak something. And figure it out because, like, they've come up against a fair few savvy managers in Moisey and, you know, Silva in the league to, to lose those two games aside from the two encounters with Klopp. So I wonder now who's next on the list on, like, potentially the fixtures get easier and that, you know, the Palace next. Okay. So, like, they build up ahead of steam and they build up form. But if you're to take the, you know, what I was saying about last year's early flourish. Like Arsenal would come out of the blocks absolutely full, full force, score a goal. And like if you go a goal up, 
and you are defensively solid and as good as possession as Arsenal are, you can draw a team onto you if they're trying to get a result. And if not, you can just hold on to the ball for much of the game, like if it's a Luton or something. But that's how you generate counterattacks then. Because you are in an yeah. advantageous position. So... Like the, the they're they're hardly out of the title race, right? That's not a that's not a discussion for now. Like that's it, like I I sort of really makes my head spin in the media when they're like title race over. Like I'm like no, it's like Liverpool. It's between Liverpool and City now, and I'm like it's not really. Like it's it's fine. Also, this slower, methodical, less taxing, bigger squad sort of thing for Arsenal will hopefully pay dividends towards the end of the season and um, not that they should be losing games now but it should pay dividends towards the end of the season compared to last season where they're out on their feet because they're just playing that swashbuckling style the entire time and we're a much smaller team so fingers crossed let's see i mean you know you've got thomas Partey to come back who would be a big player for the squad you've also got Jurian timber to come back who'll be a big player for the squad couple of bits and pieces obviously missing Gabriel Jesus at the moment but a, a two-week break um they're actually as far as I know going to be coming out to do warm weather training in Dubai next week so interesting to see um if they manage to pull that off but I do want to just before we jump off of this I do want to give credit where credit's due as well to Liverpool and where they're at because I just think like you touched on it he's so clever Jurgen Klopp he annoys me so much how brilliant he is sometimes. Like, he's clearly just decided with the players that they've brought in. Like, I, I don't think this is even close to, like, a team that you look at on paper and think this is a title-winning team. But what he does is he gets so much juice out of the squeeze. He gets the most out of every player that's on that pitch. And his his substitutions are, are magic as well. And it's just, it's all perfect. It's like a a veteran boxer, you know what I mean? A guy who like definitely shouldn't beat the younger, faster, rising opponent, but does because he's just way more technical and savvy. Like they know exactly what they need to do to win these games. They're willing to take risks with the hope that they get the reward. You look at that Newcastle game, they should have beaten Newcastle maybe 20 nil or something. Like, my God, they just blitz them. But they also know when not to blitz. I think he is playing this game by game. And it's really cool to see. Like, it's really cool to see a manager just go like, right, I don't think I have the tools to like match the other teams in terms of quality. So where do we, where do we make up that extra? Um, and I think a lot of that comes from that thing that we speak about all the time when we talk about title winning teams and we spoke about it with Man City and Liverpool in the past couple of years world class players world class players do world class things and I look at that Liverpool team and there's a there's a there's a shout for a couple but when you look at the the team itself and you think of Mo Salah on the right hand side who can make a goal out of nothing um, you've got Trent Alexander-Arnold who for my money is one of the best passers of the ball, best progressors of the ball I've ever seen. Like the disrespect that he got, like obviously during during when he was in that sort of defensive system, like he 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 deserved it when he was um, you know, not defending as well as he should. But what he can do on the ball definitely 
is worth having him in the team. Like um like not the idea of not having Trent Alexander Arnold in your team if he's available is crazy to me. And then it seems like such a given, but Allison in goal is just so damn good. He's the best goalkeeper in the world. I, I don't think there's there's any doubt with that. I think he's amazing. Um and when you have those world class players, that save that no one else can make that Allison makes that pass that no one else makes, that Alexander Allen makes, that goal that Salah scores that no one else could score. Those are the things that are pure magic, and that's what. And on top of that, getting the most out of the players who aren't as talented. Super. Yeah, and as well that, like, Liverpool have a element of squad depth in terms of like they have Gakpo, Diaz, Jota, Nunez. I'd put Harvey Elliott in there as a sort of proto-winger sometimes as well and Salah when he's not at AFCON. And like, no, I don't think you could say those five, six players are the same. Um, like they all offer you different things on and off the ball. And, you know, Salah's the only sort of definitive starter uh, out of them. And then even in midfield, like having Gravenberg, Birch, uh, Sosbali when he's fit, Alex, Alexis McAllister... You know, and Endo's obviously gone off, but like I remember starting the season that Liverpool are uh, Liverpool Chelsea game, and it was like the ba- battle for Caicedo, and like it looked blatantly obvious both teams need a number six, and yet Liverpool got Wataro Endo, and he he's not even playing every game despite being like aside from uh, uh, sorry Asia Cup commitments, and he's found a way like Trent Trent's more in midfield, like the systems there, like the solutions are being found all the time. And, uh, you know, it's working well for them. So I, I think the energy Curtis Jones is, brings in midfield has is, is play, played a big role and is probably a good chunk of the reason as to why Henderson was deemed to be no longer required. So, like, the thing is, like, if, if Liverpool... I, I think Liverpool are sort of mid-rebuilds. I know they some say they rebuilt their midfield over the summer by signing McAllister, Sosbalai in, in one's window and Gravenberch. But... I think there's still more that will be done over time. And yet, if they win any silverware this year with this team, you know, that'll be a boon for them because it's only on the up. Um, Like, there's more to come. And and I think that's Klopp's real strength. You know, Klopp and and Pep bring sort of similar things in terms of they maximise the talent. But I think Klopp works with this sort of strata of a slightly lower level than Pep. You know, I think Pep gets a lot of the expensive toys, the high level, the really nice things. Like there's, there's exceptions like a Kanji in that, but it's, it's usually like a really promising, expensive player and he maximizes their talent. I think Klopp is really good at making diamonds out of coal in some instances, you know, and working, like you think of the first early Liverpool teams he had and what he achieved with them. And even like, I know Nunes is probably an exception given his fee, but like Gakbo high talent but you know Klopp will get the most out of him Diaz as well would have gone to Spurs are you really going to say he was a top top talent so um, yeah I think there's more to come from them I'm still not convinced they'll win the title despite them being three points clear of Villa but this has just been such a weird season I think there's a few more twists in the tail for a lot of those teams in the top four um, and there's a lot of road to run yet, even though we're at the halfway. Like, it's not like previous years where you kind of, like last year you knew it was down to Arsenal and City this time last year. Like, you could be one of four, three teams, four teams, if you are confident in Villa um, this time around at the halfway point. So there's still a lot of 
as I say, twists in this road to come. Yeah, I think so too. Like, I mean, just just from from an Arsenal perspective, you know, it it could it not to to fear monger or anything like that, but it it could be over quite soon if they carry on the way that they're carrying on. I know I just said that the media are saying it's over now. I d- I don't think it's over now, but you know, you've got Crystal Palace, you've got Nottingham Forest, and then you've got Liverpool at home in the league. Um, so you'd think they have to take six points from those two games, and then they've got to go and beat Liverpool at the Emirates. Um. And then that blows the whole thing wide open again. Like you're you're back. All the teams are close, uh, depending on what Man City do as well. In the meantime, but um, transfer windows open, and there's not much movement so far, except for one, one fun one. You know what? I have to give him credit where credit's due. And Postacoglu loves a bit of fun. I think. I think that's what I think he's in this game for fun. Like he just loves having a bit of crack with football. Like he he's like, if I'm gonna do this, I want to win, but I want to win in like the most stylish, blazing way possible. And uh, Timo Werner <laughs> is the is the answer to that. Um, you take away, you take this away because I I have to curtail my excitement because I think this one is just a, a barrel of laughs. I think it's so much fun. Yeah, I think this is like a a great move for all involved. Um, in in fairness, like you know, Timo Werner never really shot the lights out of Chelsea, let's say, and he hasn't actually done so at RB Leipzig either. I think he scored nine goals last year, and he's got like two this year. So it's not like he's been prolific since he got that move to Chelsea initially. He scored like I think he was just behind Lewandowski that season. Um, you know, with twenty odd goals in Bundesliga and everything else. Um. But given Spurs, you know, that Son has gone to the Asia Cup and they need reinforcement in forward areas and someone who is direct and offers a lot of pace um, and with trouble defenders. Like, I was just watching there uh, Timo Werner's first goal in the Premier League as he's been doing the rounds and it's a great feint he does to, to beat the defender. Now then he lingers on the ball too long and it kind of, is a scruffy finish in the end, which I think says a lot about him as a player. But I think if you've got James Madison feeding Timo Werner, he's going to cause enough havoc. And maybe he won't score even 10 goals in the next six months, but like he'll cause enough havoc and be a good squad option for Spurs that I think he'll get that move and make it final. Because he's just, he's got a lot of qualities that are useful in a Spurs side that is his, good as it has been at points this season when it hasn't been you know stricken with injuries and especially when they've avoided to fill I think it just makes sense in so many like he doesn't really have a place at Leipzig anymore they've signed Openda they've got Almo they have like a, a nice new attack over there with Marco Rosa so they he they don't need him they'll make 20 million potential or 18 million off this deal in the summer if it goes through well and if Spurs don't sign him I'm sure someone else will come looking if he does half well so it's kind of low stakes for him. The pressure won't be on in the same way as it was back then. And he is a Champions League winner in fairness. So as I say, I think he just will cause the havoc they need up front and, and do really well. Yeah, when you when you ask the question, it's like, would you prefer Charlison or Timo Werner? You know what's funny? I think if you said that to like a Spurs fan like four years ago, maybe three, 
like they'd probably have a conniption <laughs> you know what i mean but but those it's, two players complement each other i think in a lot of ways like Werner often played off of Yusuf Poulsen who was a like Richarlison is not exactly the same but like Richarlison's physical and will win a few headers and like I think that is a nice complementary unit and then if you have Kulisewski off the right to feed them it will work yeah I just think it's funny how like Ange Postacoglu has changed the perception of Spurs and how people look at the team because you know you can think about Richarlison and Timo Werner working you know what I mean like whereas like I'm just saying from a from a time traveler's point of view, you think those two players playing for first of all playing for Spurs and and being the sort of duo partnership up top with Son and Kulisewski as the sort of support. Um I'm I presume Richarlison as sort of a half nine figure in there. Um interesting. Like super interesting. And I'm super interested to see how he gets on. It's not unheard of for a player to have a second bite of the cherry in the Premier League and do really, really well. Um, Mo Salah, Kevin De Bruyne. You know what I mean? You would have looked at those players and said, nah, when the, when they came back. You know what I mean? Um, and it turns out, complete, like, they, they well, I'm not saying Timo Werner's going to become one of the best players the Premier League's ever seen, but he is still quite young, if I'm correct. Is he not? He's not. I think he's super like twenty-seven. Old. Okay, then he's he's older than I thought he was. Um, but, yeah, um, twenty-seven. Yeah, well, okay, like he's, he's in his it. prime, and like he yeah. he'll be motivated to get back in the Germany squad. So like, you're getting a motivated player who's a point to prove without as much pressure on him, and yeah, I think he'll just terrorize. I think he'll probably be playing sort of off the left, if I'm honest, in in sort of left left forward role, um. But we'll see. We'll see how he gets on. Yeah, no, that'll be interesting. So that's one to keep an eye on transfer-wise. And then shall we loop around to the red side of Manchester before we leave it off and see how you guys are doing over there? How are yeah, you feeling? Yeah, sure, sure. Hot on the heels of an epic FA Cup win over Wigan Athletic last night. Boom. Um, yeah. The Will Power Derby. Yeah. The, sorry, the who? The Will? What's Will his name? Will Powell was it Powell? Oh, or Charlie Wills? I don't know. Two of them. Anyway, look. Will Power? The, no, the Antonio Valencia derby, as we all know. <laughs> as we all know, it is. Sorry, um, Antonio Valencia. Yeah, I should have. I should have. I should have went with that one rather than the player I didn't know the name of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, uh, yet another. United have turned so many corners this season. They they're flat on the floor, dizzy. Um, such is the the fortunes they have had. Now, you wouldn't really say that about this performance over Wigan. It was a very strange game to watch, given, like, Wigan are league one side, so United's just should have won. They did win. You expected them to bottle it. They actually didn't. Wigan scared them early on, and you would have thought United would have crumbled under that pressure. Like, <sighs> you know, it, it's been a bad few weeks. Um, That insane comeback win against Aston Villa coming out of nowhere the the highs every fan would have gone through Garnacho's two goals Rasmus Hoyland finally getting a league goal for him then to be ill going into the game against um, Nottingham Forest in which Anthony Alanga scored and the narrative spinning in that United spent 100 odd million or 100 million euros on Anthony and they sold this guy Anthony Alanga who's far more productive more goals and assists than him 
<laughs> like in a handful of games for Nottingham Forest and Anthony has it's been it's a bad look it's it's a hugely bad look but I suppose like the, the main story here I think like United season is a write-off at this stage right so like the, the overriding narrative is as a result of the news that came in on Christmas Eve an early Christmas present for every United fan in that uh, you know the Ineos 25% is going through and Whilst it's not fully done yet because it has to be ratified by the Premier League, it is the sign of new things to come with a new footballing operation and that should hopefully christen a new era of operational excellence that United have not had since Fergie left. And even then, you would question if that was operational excellence or just the strong will of one man. Um, I think it was the strong will of one man. <laughs> precisely, oh, precisely. And that one guy just being a good football head and signing players like Anthony uh, Antonio Valencia uh, and using him very well at right back. But anyway, yeah, like, it's all about kind of off the stuff. Like, all the news articles are coming out now about Man United's, you know, and David Brailsford and Jim Ratcliffe and the meetings they're having with staff and how they're going to do a root analysis root analysis of every issue United have had have had behind the scenes like ultimately they find United find themselves in a position where they have to salvage a season and at the core of that is Ten Hag and realistically now I think Ten Hag is auditioning for his own job um it's probably the way to, to put it in that yeah. there's new football ownership new football operators and if he has a strong second half of the season with Martinez back, with Casemiro back, with Mount back, all the injured players returning, and and United make a surge and even finish fifth and you know do relatively well uh, and go on a cup run or, or something and or even win the FA Cup, you you would say Ten Hag would have revived his United career, but until such time as something like that happens, you can't back this guy given. Every transfer decision he's made, bar two, have been questionable. And what what are the two? Sorry, the the good ones. Well, Lissandro Martinez for one. Yeah. And well, maybe it isn't two. Uh, it might only be Martinez. <laughs> Onana, in fairness, Onana might come good. Like that is a. I know he has his detractors, but for me, he has at least given United a better base to play from. You know, like. You look, everyone forgets the issues De Gea had towards the back half of last year. And that cord was always need always needed to be cut at some point in the season. So He's also relatively young for a goalkeeper. Precisely. Like, for me, um, that, uh, I, yeah, it's probably too early to say it come good. And, like, Casemiro was signed under Ten Hag's tutelage. Now, he didn't really pick the player. But if you're going to attribute every signing to him, you have to pick give him to him as well, despite the shoddy performances early this season. But yeah, like it's all about off the field, isn't it? Oh, it's not really like. Do you really think United are gonna make Champions League spots? Like it's gonna be week to week performance, performance. Like they have to beat Spurs this weekend and and that kind of thing. Is kind of like I I don't see them making Champions League considering the quality of the teams that are above them. Um, like I even I know he's he's out for how long is Pakatai out for? Is he out like four um, weeks? I read. Okay, like. I kind of see more cohesiveness even in the West Ham team than I do in the United team in, in, certain, in certain respects. Um, not to say that West Ham will finish above United, but I'm just saying there will be hot competition, I think, around there. Um, I think Newcastle and Chelsea will get 
I, I can see more of an upside for those two teams towards the end of the season than I do United um, on the field. But off the field, I think it's really interesting. I, I, I just don't see Ten Hag surviving this. And I don't, I'm not saying whether that's the right decision or the wrong decision. I just think if you buy a new company, you write off the debt. Um, and I don't think that this, if you're to truly, like, I feel like you have to rip up the roots, like, of, because this has happened too many times where there has been, like, it's, it's not the first time that new people have come in and tried to look at this from an objective point of view and tried to change things. Um, the difference is that these guys actually have a vested interest. They actually have invested in the company. They actually are part of Manchester United. They're a quarter of Manchester United. Um, granted, the, the executives that have come in so far have not done a good job and the Glazers have had their chokehold over the club and all of this stuff going on. But I just look at it, and I, I not that I am the type of billionaire that buys a football club, right? But if I was to invest in Manchester United, and I was putting that money in, I was thinking of all this stuff. I'm thinking, gosh, like, this guy's going to really have to do something incredible for me to not have to, or at least my guys that I install to want to keep him. Like, I imagine there will be people who are brought in who will be in charge of transfers and incomings and philosophies and stuff like that because that's the dumb thing now at a lot of clubs like not a lot of clubs have managers who like like that's what ten hag is not right now he's like a manager who who looks after far more than probably what his, his remit is like and i actually never really had to do that um ix has a great production belt and then also you know when you're signing players the risk is a lot lower than it is at Man United. You know, you bring in a stinker, oopsies, we can probably sell them for close to that. Like it's it's no it's it's no big deal. Um but I just think these new football operations people and whoever else is installed in this footballing operational system at Man United will want things done a certain way and will want things changed. I I just can't see a reality where he does well enough that he's unignorable. Um, whereas I can see a reality where he does bad enough that it gives them the excuse that they need to let him go. Like for me, I think you're right like the, i i can't when, when the guy like even within that wigan performance like scott mctominay is still uh, whatever instructions or maybe he's just rogue but like when an 18 year old or whatever age is 20 year old kabi mainu is standing out head and shoulders as the only actual functioning midfielder in the the whole team that sets alarm bells ringing and like uh, you know ten hag has realized this but if Casemiro is back fit and the midfield is not Mainu and Casemiro behind Bruno Fernandes and McTominay is still playing, that to me is a manager. Do, do you know when you, you're watching a team, and as a United fan, I will have seen this many many a year over the time, where it's like 
everyone knows it's the wrong decision, but the manager's just doubling down, tripling down on it because it was his decision in the first place. You know, who do you think I mean, you're talking to? What team do you think I support at the minute? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. But like, you know, United's best team, as I would see it, is, is fairly obvious when our players are fit, and it doesn't involve Mount, and it doesn't involve Anthony, and it doesn't involve like half the like a good few players that a lot of money was spent on by Ten Hag, and like the fact that he is utilizing his his own footballing agent. Um, to get deals like Vout Veghorst in because United were so dysfunctional. Like, his power has only grown, but that's a bad thing. So, like, no, you won't see any immediate improvement off the field. Whatever United do in the in the transfer market, be it a loan or something, like, they were linked with Werner. They were linked with all sorts of mad, like, weird strikers, like Odeon or Gallo levels. That would be concerning. But he's just not shown the quality to change this up and fix it. Like, the fact is, United started the season with their preferred first 11 and they won in a very fortunate way over Wolves. It was a shambolic performance in a lot of ways. And United haven't put in a good performance since. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you, they've, you know, they've gotten last minute winners against Brentford and, and Nottingham Forest and, you know, they've beaten, come, had comebacks against Villa and stuff. But like, you can't actually say United haven't put together a good 90. Do you know what I mean? Even when they beat Palace in the Carabao Cup, it was only because Palace played a second string team. They weren't that great against Wigan. It was just money talking, I think. Um, like, my new was excellent. But other than that, like, it was, a, you know, the they got a penalty and a, Dallas scored a nice goal. Like, so, Things are going to have to... It has to be a drastic improvement. And, like, Sancho's going on loan to Dortmund. Like... If he tears I, it up in the Bundesliga, that is... I don't, I don't I don't think he will, because I think it'll take him a while to get up to speed. But if he does really well in the Bundesliga... If he... Actually, don't scratch that. If he does semi-well in the Bundesliga, that's so bad. But it it's because, like, to be honest, it's... Whatever your opinion on Sancho, and I, I strongly thought he was to blame for a lot of this, and he probably is. But at the end of the day, when a guy like Anthony is playing over you week in, week out, who cost a hundred million for God knows what reason, like United's own scouts valued him at twenty five, and on you said even when he signed, like what the hell is going on here? Like you know, Louis, why did they spend so much? And look what's happened. When that guy's playing week in, week out, and you're sitting on the bench like Sancho, who you could argue who's never really had a good solid run in a team that was consistent and you know Ten Hag did give him a lot of time last year to for whatever reason get up to speed but that's the rod to beat Ten Hag with he drove the Anthony's transfer and yeah you, the United hierarchy shouldn't have let him spend or let the club spend that much on him but they did and look what's happened so that is the biggest rod for his back like when it comes to the new ownership there's rumours swirling around like Varane's got six months left on his deal and I think they should just let that run out or sell him now even though he's been good this year the wages like he re he's a representation of waste and bad money management if an offer for Casemiro even comes in I think it would be from and I'm talking about from Saudi Arabia like you know those are deals you should be making to stop to restructure how this club is run how, how wages are dished out and reinvest and, and like you know, Anthony is going to be United's Nicolas Pepe at some stage. Do you know what I mean? Like, that is what's going to happen. And the same way Arsenal took a lot of L's financially to get rid of the likes of Aubameyang and Kalasinac and Ozil, 
United are going to have to do that now. And hopefully this new operate, like United are going back into the wilderness years. Like when Ten Hag signed, I think a lot of, you know, people were saying they need to be in a position to be challenging in two years because that's likely when I think Pep's contract was up, Klopp's contract at the time was due to be up, you know, or they would have been in various stages of rebuild. Like that was your opportunity. United are nowhere close to that because of the waste and poor management of the club. And then also Ten Hag seems kind of lost it a bit as well. So we're back to square one, I think, on in, in all honesty. And I think yeah. the new owners just have to, the new investors and football operators just need to have the courage of their convictions and bite the bullet. And I imagine that's what they will have. I imagine that's what they'll be coming in with that sort of, and that's why I don't think the manager survives. And that's why I think there might be a few surprise sales. Um, maybe not immediately because I think there's higher priority things to do, like, you know, sort out, you know, those contracts and make sure that the right people are on the, on the exit. Um, but like the thing that I always talk about and the thing that I sort of compare with the the Arsenal situation is if you look at Ten Hag and the guy like I think there's a fundamental difference between Arsenal and I think there is a lot of comparison because you you know you've you've basically given a guy a keys the keys to the kingdom and given him ultimate power at a giant football club, right? Um and of course Ten Hag has a lot more experience as a as a as a first team coach than Arteta. However, when both of them took these jobs, none of them had had jobs comparable beforehand. Like Ajax is a massive club, but it's not Manchester United. Um I think the difference is the one intangible in football and that's the sort of link that sort of tetherment to a football club or to a badge that adds that extra 10% and when I look at United and you look at a player like Kobe Mainu in the cup I think he's playing for Manchester United you know what I mean you can see it Scott McTominay in fairness do you know what I mean he's not the right guy he's not quality enough but I, I like I, I I think he's playing for Manchester United and he gives a shit you know what I mean and that's important oh, yeah absolutely like that's so important and I think that's what the difference is is that like you know you look at Arteta got rid of a lot of his best players but I think you can agree wholeheartedly on all the players that he put on the chopping block that they were not playing for the badge and I know this is elite sport and I know they get paid a lot of money but that's the extra 10% like that's where that comes from is that sort of passion for the club the, like Arsenal are looking in the way that the manager has it for the club considering X player and that, and that he himself has an attachment to the club but you look at players like Bukayo Saka Gabriel Martinelli um, even Martin Odegaard, you know, who revived his career at the club, there has been a desire for, there has to be a desire for those players to get into it. And it's questionable even at United whether Marcus Rashford has, he should be that guy. You know what I mean? He should be captain Manchester United, you know? Not captain of Manchester United, but you get what I'm saying. Like, he should be the guy who's putting the whole thing on his back. And... I just feel like if you sign the right players and bring them into the club and if you blood the right players from the academy, that's the perfect mix alongside a manager who 
it's not necessary for the manager to have to tell them it's the club because that's that's a bit harder to do, of course. And United have had that over the last couple of years, you know, um, especially with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But when I look at it, I think you need a guy who's going to be like, we're restoring this football club to a certain set of values because that's what you need to have. Um, even with the lack of history and culture, I look at a team like Man City and what Pep has created is that this feeling that Man City, playing for Man City and playing for the badge is the most important thing in the world because this is the best team in the world. You should be so lucky to be on this football pitch right now because this is the best team in the world and if you don't play to the standard of this badge, of this jersey, you will be off. And look, at he booted out Joao Canseo. He doesn't care. Like, if you're not up to the scratch, if you're not playing for the badge, if you're not playing with passion, you're gone. And I just think that that's what United need to inject. And I don't see it happening under this current manager. And I don't see it happening with a lot of this current crop of players. So I imagine Radcliffe and co. will do a massive gooding, and that's what needs to happen. But um, interesting to see how things develop over the next couple of months. Um, because I imagine we'll find... you'll I imagine it'll... As time goes on, it'll almost be week to week you're finding out about this player's contract or links to this player in the summer. And thing, the, the sort of vision will start to become a little bit clearer over time. Yeah, exactly. I think, well, like you'll probably, uh, uh, I think it's another couple of weeks before it's official and any actual decisions can be made by Ratcliffe and Brailsford. I think Brailsford's going to be a, na- a big, big name in all of this, given he's kind of been at every match since since the announcement. Um, but like you know John Murta if he's sacked if I don't know certain backroom officials are, are gone maybe Darren Fletcher maybe not you know a certain guy start, heads start to roll essentially in a kind of you know resign or sacked kind of way and new play, people are installed in those positions like realistically most clubs have their plan, transfer plans already bedded in for the summer United will be on the back foot to a certain extent in that or maybe scouts would be better empowered Um the key appointment will be whether or not they sign. Like, there's been links to Paul Mitchell of Monaco and Dan Ashworth of Newcastle in terms of a sporting director also, or director of football. So, like, that'll be the key announcement if and when that comes. And then, yeah, as you say, on like certain things like Lindelof, his contract had extended, Bambasaka's, you know, did as well. Like, you now these are just automatic options. They're not like new deals. Um, but, you know, Varane's not extending. You know, will Casemiro start to be linked away properly as opposed to just the murmurings we get now will you know all this kind of stuff uh, there's rumours about Ten Hag's veto power when it comes to transfers all that kind of jazz so it's I think United just as a fan you just kind of hope Ten Hag puts together some forms just so you can enjoy the second half of the season and go on a cup run like realistically even as well he should be turning this around given there's now a two week break United are not committed in anything but the league and cup that's so much time on the training field. Players are returning from injury. Like, he should really be turning this around. Um, and if he doesn't, then the questions really do have to come. Indeed. But I tell you what, they are going to be answered. They are going to be answered indeed. But it's good to be back. I mean, there's a little bit of a break going on right now. There will be some more football trickling in as we go along. But the busy festive period is over. We're into the second half of the season. Who knows what's going to happen. But until then, Shawnee, my friend, I'll see you out there.
I'll see you out there. <laughs>